listening to Clary Vacation on Springfield's Talk 1041. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clarification. It's another beautiful weekend in the Ozarks. I am your host, James Clare. I've got a very special guest today. Her name is Rachel Alexander, and she's from Arizona. She's a conservative commentator, and she's the editor of The Intellectual Conservative. She calls herself a recovering attorney, which I absolutely love. She's been on everybody's show and news radio. She was the former assistant attorney general for the state of Arizona, a corporate attorney and the special assistant deputy county attorney for Maricopa County. So we're going to get into elections. uh, But the, the main gist of this show today is about our justice system. You know, and and Rachel, give me about 30 seconds. I just want to set this up that I grew up on Perry Mason, McClintock, the FBI files and Colombo, where the law enforcement are always the good guys and the courts were places that separated goodness from evil. And in general, that American jurisprudence was the best system on the planet. But it seems like a few decades ago, we begin to see cracks in the system. And I mean, we're to the point now where we see old ladies who just walked into the Capitol, thrown in prison, into gulags in D.C. And the overarching purpose of my show, Rachel, is to kind of find historical connections between like current societal norms and past events. We've identified many so I want to talk to you, you know, normally in the show, we'd, we'd start with the what, what is happening to our justice system? I think a lot of us know that I want to get immediately to the why and welcome you to clarification and just what, what is your overarching sense of why our justice system is going downhill? Well, and thank you for having me on. Um, basically, here's a couple points I'd like to make to get into the why. Um, and this is what really disturbs me. You know, you mentioned some of my background and I realized today that those positions I had, which included the Maricopa County elections attorney, I was their attorney. They had one attorney back when I was at the county attorney's office. Wow. Um, yeah. And then again, my corporate law position at GoDaddy, uh, you know, the, the assistant attorney general position, I could not have those positions again today. So that is just freaky to me. I mean, the left would cancel me at GoDaddy. They would never even hire me in the first place for those government positions. That how That's how much we have just gone off the reservation. And my dad, um, he was a judge, a longtime judge. And, you know, I, I, you know, he's a little more laid back than I am. He's not quite as feisty and, you know, <laughs> out there in the public eye, you know, right. in politics. But, I mean, would my own dad even be able to become a judge anymore? And, and then the second point on that line is, you know, whenever I talk to people who are considering going to law school, and I have a lot of friends who are, you know, um, guys I've dated are considering going to law school, mm-hmm. you know, a little later in life. And I am just brutally honest with them. I'm like, you know, one, if you're a conservative attorney, they're going to come after you. They're going to try to cancel you. They're going to try to get you disbarred, especially if you're an election attorney or you do anything that's remotely political, like if you get involved in COVID lawsuits. So they're going to be gunning gunning for you. And and even more importantly, you might not even be able to to get into the bar. 
Wow. For example, when, yeah, after you go to law school, it, most uh, states have these mandatory state bars. And even if they don't, there's, there's an arm of the usually the state Supreme Court that is responsible for licensing. And they do this thing called character and fitness that you have to pass before you can even become a member of the bar and practice law. So I'm looking at all these friends of mine and everything they posted on social media or written, and I guarantee you they will keep them out of the practice of law by this character and fitness check. And, and, and the thing is, is all these bars have reciprocity with each other. So if one bar does this to an attorney in Arizona, and we've got one of the worst state bars here in Arizona, completely dominated by the left. Um, uh, the bar next door in Nevada is going to do the same thing to you. They won't admit you to the bar, you know, because you, you, you have an issue in Arizona. In wow. fact, that's uh, this legal group I'm trying to start. Um, one of the things we want to do is start infiltrating some of the bars, particularly in the reddest of states that haven't been taken over by the left yet. Because mm-hmm. we need a place where conservative attorneys are, you know, if they're disbarred in Arizona, then, you know, maybe they can go to Mississippi and at least practice. Right. So, so that's prefacing up to where we got to this stage, how bad it is. And I believe the why is because, and this is my personal opinion, I think things like social media, you know, first it was the internet, but now it's broadening to social media, have made people so aware. It's so easy to become aware and get to the bottom, get to the truth. You know, they're, they're pushing back. They're trying to, like, you know, uh, scrub us out on the search engines like Google, but um, I think people are, have become so red-pilled now that the left unpopular positions are no longer tenable if you are aware and paying attention. Right. So the only way the le- yeah, so the only way the left can get anywhere now is it's got to cheat, it's got to lie, it's got to steal, and so they are blatantly doing this. They're blatantly turning into fascists. And, you know, one of their key areas that they're, they're, they're really hitting hard right now, which started, you know, 10, 20 years ago, maybe even less, I mean, less than 20, uh, is the lawfare, which started with the civil lawfare, but it has now progressed into the prosecution lawfare. Mm. And it just, it, and it just weirds me out when I see all these leftists just so gloating about, we're going to get Trump, we're going to put him in prison, it's happening any day. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you guys are celebrating turning into fascism. That's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they, you know, the character and fitness thing sounds like a str- struggle session for Mao's cultural revolution. You know, it, it, it's, yeah. it's honestly Marxist. And I think the tentacles really go back to the 50s. I don't know if you're familiar with the Reese Committee hearings, but we don't need to go into that. But, you know, these NGOs specifically chose professors and, you know, basically blackmailed universities, say, hey, we'll give you a million dollars, but we get to choose who teaches political science, who teaches history. And those are the subjects that generally lead into a law degree, right? If you're going to law school, don't you study philosophy, sociology, history, those types of things? You nailed it. And I'm sure a lot of those students got indoctrinated in those classes and then they went to law school and became leftist lawyers because I saw a trend that started when I became a lawyer back in 1999, no, 2000 is when I became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, this, this trend. I mean, there was already a, a larger proportion of leftists in the law. And what disturbed me was how many were prosecutors. That really weirded me out because I'd always thought law and order was for conservatives. Right. But, 
Yeah. So there was already some funky business going on then. And now the numbers are just really bad. Like I, I need to look up some, uh, you know, polls and see how many lawyers are now on the left because, you know, I'm sure it was like 60 to 70% back then, you know, 20 years later. I mean, I, I, I could see it being as high as 80%. Yeah, you think so. And, and, and lawyers, you know, they're human beings. They're terrified of being canceled or censored or, you know, I mean, you've written a lot about like John Eastman, Trump's lawyer, which I want to get into specific cases. But I think the ones that are conservative, like yourself, are a little bit, they're terrified, right? Well, here's why. So most of us lawyers, including myself, graduate with huge amounts of debt. Uh, yeah. I mean, my loans are my loans are all in, in default at this point, my law school loans, because I, 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 I just can't keep up. Um, the state bar destroyed my finances so bad when they ruined my license. So, wow. you know, they don't want they don't these lawyers don't want to end up like me. You know, they see what happened to me. I lost my home to foreclosure. You know, and also a lot of lawyers are going to be one, you know, paycheck earner families. They've got, you know, a spouse and kids to support. So they can't be brave. They can't stand up. They can't do anything. And plus, they're all restricted by these bogus uh, anti-First Amendment bar rules that say you can't do this and you can't do that. Mm, Like, you know, I'm always railing against the one that says you can't criticize judges. That is a gross infringement of the of First Amendment right. for lawyers not to be able to criticize judges. Hey, we just got a couple seconds left. Rachel, I had no idea that you went through that. So when we come back from this break, I want to hear your personal story. It's Clarification with Rachel Alexander. We'll be right back. Perfect. It's Clarification. Welcome back. I'm your host, James Clary. Sarah, nice choice on music. The last Beatles song. We're joined by Rachel Alexander. And as promised, Rachel, just give us the, you know, however many minutes you want to take. we got plenty of time. Your personal story as a lawyer in Arizona. What happened to you? Okay, let me try to just hit the highlights. because uh, It was a lot, former, yeah. Yeah, well, my former boss, Maricopa County Attorney Andrew Thomas, he wrote up a, an article about it that I refer to everybody, but it's 26 pages long. Well, we'll put it in the so, show notes, though. Yeah. Yes, it is okay. worth it. It's the, it, it's the best one. So basically what happened was I was a Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Special Assistant under the wonderful Maricopa County Attorney Andrew Thomas, who you guys should all follow on X as soon as he gets on there. He just told me today he's about to start an account. So he was amazing. He was the most proactive, uh, principled conservative you will ever meet. He's the one who turned Sheriff Joe Arpaio around on illegal immigration and got him in- enforcing it. You know, uh, Thomas got four uh, initiatives passed, uh, stopping illegal immigration with over 70 percent voter approval unheard of. He was like the only politician back in 2004 to run on a platform of stopping illegal immigration. Mm. So he just brought down the rates incredibly in Arizona in the late 2000s. I mean, it was an incredible era to live. And he, you know, increased the death penalty. He stopped these short sentences for violent criminals. Everything was we thought was going great, but the establishment didn't like it. And we were starting to see the signs of the corruption in Maricopa County, uh, especially with the supervisors and then the judges. So I think the first 
thing that happened was, and, and I was a blogger back then. I had my little icarizona.com website where mm-hmm. I would post all of it. Yeah, I'd post all of his press releases. And, you know, I did a few things. I, you know, went on Fox News and refuted the State Bar of Arizona's uh, uh, case involving a, a defendant who had downloaded child porn. So I ticked off the wrong people. So what happened was one of these initiatives that Thomas had gotten passed, no bail for illegal immigrants to commit serious crimes, which had passed with 77% voter approval. The judges at Maricopa County Superior Court circulated a memo instructing each other not to enforce the law. So Andy Thomas held a press conference and he denounced the judges for not enforcing the new law. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't like that. They complained to the state bar about him. They said this violated the state bar rule that says you can't criticize judges. And then the other thing that led up to them coming after us was he had started this anti-public corruption unit with Sheriff Arpaio, where they were going to go equally after Republicans and Democrats in office who were corrupt. And as you know, we have a lot of rhinos in Maricopa County. So yeah. there, you know, there was a lot of Republican targets, including the Maricopa County supervisors. Mm. And so they went after two of them. One of them uh, was this rhino, Don Stapley, who basically raised over $70,000 for a race he had no opponent in. He was running for National Association of County Supervisors president. And then he spent the entire 70000 on luxury items. For himself and his family, including three luxury trips. So, wow. uh, yeah, so Thomas tried to prosecute him over that. And then he also tried to prosecute Mary Rose Wilcox, the Democrat on the county supervisors, because she failed to disclose things on her financial disclosure uh, forms, such as the fact that she had gotten a loan from Chicano's Por La Casa, the far left radical group, yeah. while voting on things related to Chicano's Por La Casa. So, Thomas got them indicted. He got stately indicted twice and didn't matter. A bunch of retired judges went to the state bar and said, you got to do something about him. And uh, at that point, Thomas filed a racketeering lawsuit against the, uh, the county supervisors and the judges. The, the county supervisors were having a Taj Mahal court tower built for the judges, in my opinion, to buy them. And so this we were in the midst of a recession back then, and the judges were going to get private robing rooms, penthouse uh, quarters. There was porcelain, traveler, travertine, marble, all built, all, all built from cash, right? Because the, the, the contractors were getting all this. They wouldn't have to worry about bonds and, and reneging on the deal if we ran out of money. Contractors all got their money, and the contractors were buying the county supervisor's employees oh by God. giving them these expensive tickets to sporting events and all this, this really nice stuff. At first, those county employees were actually being prosecuted, and the Arizona Repugnant was actually exposing this, right? Yeah. But then everything just finally, you know, it all started crumbling, and everybody started turning on Andy trying to uncover this. The racketeering lawsuit, um, he realized that he, his prosecutor, Lisa Obishon, who was also handling the prosecution, shouldn't, shouldn't be the, the, the named attorney on it. So he asked me to put my name on it. My name was the lead attorney on the racketeering lawsuit for only a couple months. And then the Department of Justice said they'd take it over. Well, they never did, really. But anyways, so we retracted the lawsuit. But because my name was on it for two months, they came after me merely for that and suspended my law license for six months. And um, there's so much more I could go into, but that's the gist of it. They disbarred Andy. They disbarred Lisa. 
Um, they won't let me back into practice law unless I pay $101,000, the cost of the entire disciplinary trial and proceedings against all three of us. So I have to pay the cost of the proceedings against my two superiors. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I'm looking at some articles. This was back in, well, the article was written in 2016. But yeah, that you uh, have to pay $101,294 legal sanctions. I mean, it's the corruption in America, in Arizona in general, but specifically Maricopa County. It may be the most corrupt county in the country, it sounds like, Rachel. Well, what I started saying a few years ago is we used to think Cook County was the most corrupt county right. in the United States, but they no longer are because Jesse Jackson Jr. did the same exact thing that Maricopa County Supervisor Don Stapley did. He raised like $150,000 for his campaign and then spent it all on uh uh, luxury items luxury, for himself. Yep. Mm-hmm. He ended up in the federal pen for two and a half years. Whereas wow. Don Stapley, Don Stapley not only got all the charges against him dismissed, but he turned around, got his cronies on the Maricopa County Supervisors Board to award him $3.5 million in taxpayers' money for the stress of being prosecuted. Oh my gosh. Well, he got us disbarred and me suspended, yes. This is just nuts. Well, let, let's shift gear. I mean, what's happened to you is horrible, but you, you know, I can tell you're a very strong, resilient, super intelligent woman, and you've come out on the other side. Your voice, you're even more fierce than you were before, and we love that about you. It just seems like the corruption is so deep. I, and I know, I mean, there's so many d- different aspects. I'm getting a little disjointed, but the election, lawfare and elections kind of go hand in hand. You being in Maricopa, I know that you were pretty involved with the whole Carrie Lake situation. We got about four minutes. Can you talk about that a little bit in the election of Katie Hobbs? Yes. So my specialty, because of living here and what I've gone through, is now lawfare and election fraud. And what happened with Carrie Lake was an exact repeat of the 2020 election here in Arizona with Donald Trump. Um, you just have a perfect storm of everything stopping the election fraud from being investigated and anything ever being done about it. Yeah. Um, I write, you know, I've written extensively about why judges will never uh, rule that there was voter disenfranchisement of Republicans mm. and and why they have thrown out all these cases. And, you know, I just tweeted today that, you know, the left likes to always say, well, you look at these Trump appointed judges or, you know, Republican appointed judges, they're all throwing out the cases. Well, what people don't understand is that there was always a presiding judge of a courthouse who is always a Democrat or a rhino, and they select which judge gets appointed to an election case. Right. So, you know, here in Arizona, we've got 22 civil court judges in Maricopa County. And they always make sure they pick one of the absolute worst judges. This, this Judge Hannah, who's been hearing one of Carrie's cases, he, I've had multiple attorneys tell me he is the absolute worst far-leftist activist judge in Maricopa <laughs> County. <laughs> so, of course, he gets their case. We just can't seem to get a fair shake. It's As just a regular lay person, Rachel, God, it's so frustrating, man. I you know, we got a couple minutes left in this segment, but maybe we can talk about some solutions. I know it has to start in law schools, 
But I, you know, I've kind of thrown my hands up, man, particularly with the elections. You know, look at the RNC. They're doing nothing. Yeah. And I can talk forever about these topics you're bringing up right now. I mean, the RNC, it's there's too many people who have been in the business for too long and they know too many people. They've got too many vested interests. You know, you can really do a deep dive into all of that. I mean, I put this article out there called Why Rhinos Are Rhinos, and I get to the bottom of it into detail. It's basically money, though, isn't it? At the end of the day, money and power, which kind of are similar to two sides of the same coin. Yes, yes. I definitely say it all comes down to follow the money, because if you look at most rhinos, they're older and they have a lot of money. Mm. And they've just been in Republican politics for way too long. A lot of them have businesses. These businesses have various regulations with the federal government and other governments. And, you know, they violate one of those regulations and, and you know, like a, a woke topic. And they're, they could go out of business. Their business could be penalized. So there's all types of issues they can't, you know, even discuss because of that. And, and let's just get to the elephant in the room. I mean, nobody wants to be sued by Dominion. You'll end up like Fox News. And yeah. I can even go over why Fox News settled. Yeah, definitely. I, I was chuckling when you were talking about the typical rhino. We, I don't, I got to be careful how I tread here. But we had, you know, there are three GOP representatives from each state and each territory. And one of them here in Missouri, one of the three, is somebody I've, I've I've known for a long time, call him a friend. But we had him on the show a few weeks back, and, you know, he kind of defended Rana. But you, what you just described is exactly who that person is. And I understand we don't, we don't have time in this thing, but there is a meeting in January for the RNC, and they could— uh, they could throw Ron out. I don't think it's going to happen. So, Rachel, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second. It's clarification. Hey, everybody. It's clarification. Welcome back. I've got a really special guest today, Rachel Alexander. Oh, man, she's been through the ringer in Maricopa County. And I, I love the fact she calls herself a recovering lawyer. But you've written extensively, Rachel, about John Eastman and the move to disbar him. Just tell us a little bit about who he is and what's been happening to him, if you would. Well, he's basically probably the top conservative legal scholar on the right constitutional attorney um, in the entire country. And he's extraordinarily reputable. I mean, those of us who are conservative attorneys have looked up to him for many years. And so they're ba- the left is basically taking on this amazing man. I mean, he's a lot like Alan Dershowitz, except, you know, Dershowitz still calls himself a Democrat. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's kind of similar in that same vein. So the left went after him because he jumped on board advising Trump and representing him right after the 2020 election on some of the election fraud cases. And he's just so principled and he doesn't make mistakes. He's super accurate. So he is one of the absolute best advocates we have ever had in this area. So, of course, they want to take him down. Yeah. So. Yeah, so the California bar is trying to disbar him, and I sat through all 33 days of the trial against him because this was right up my alley, having had a you know trial against me that was live streamed for two and a half months as well, and and you know I'm really up to speed on election fraud thanks to living here in Maricopa County. Mm-hmm. So um, 
they they concluded the trial, and uh, the judge already says she's going to be finding him culpable. She's just going to be coming out with her final opinion shortly and deciding whether she's going to go with the full punishment of disbarment, which we all know she's going to. I've said from day one it was obvious. It was the most kangaroo court trial. Um, twice during the trial, I had two people send me images, you know, kangaroo court, and one of them had, like, the state part of California a seal because with kangaroos on it because it, because it's that bad and at the same time Eastman is being prosecuted he's one of the 19 named RICO uh, defendants in Fannie Willis's bogus Georgia uh, prosecution and he's an unnamed co-conspirator in the bogus Jack Smith DC federal prosecution God. so yeah I mean they have taken this to an, a level that is just insanity and, you know, I've never had so many interactions on my tweets in my life until this trial because, you know, Eastman was relying on the top election fraud investigators in the country. That was what was so amazing about this trial. Even though the judge wouldn't allow almost any of it to be admitted into evidence, um, these witnesses still got up there, these genius statistical PhDs who have just done incredible work. You know, one of my favorite things they did was that mainstream media's claim, oh, there were 60 election lawsuits and they, they all failed on the merits. Right. Well, they went and sh- yeah, they went and showed how that was just a lie. There were actually 93 lawsuits and there were 30 that were decided on the merits and Trump or the GOP won 23 of them. Right. And that's actually on your uh, your Twitter. I won't call it X on your uh, Twitter space. You have that document that actually shows it. And we'll make sure and get that in the show notes. Yeah, go to my highlighted tweets and you can find it. Um, it's on election-integrity.info. Mm-hmm. So all this incredible stuff has been coming out. And then the other key to this uh, thing was the main thing they went after Eastman for was saying that he gave advice to, to Trump that Pence could reject electoral votes and tried to get him to do that. Well, it's not even accurate. It's not even true, even right. though the state bar put it in their charges. It's such a lie that Eastman thinks that the California bar's attorney should be disbarred. And, and, and you know, the, the whole case, the whole trial was such a farce that the, the California bar's key witness, um, they were going to bring him back at the end for a rebuttal witness, and they didn't. And I think it's because we showed that he had an inactive bar license while he was advising the California bar and drafting the charges against Eastman. So he was, he, he should be disbarred himself. Yeah. So, I was going to say real quick, you know, even as a layperson, we all knew that all Pence was asked to do was to send it back to the state for what, like 10 days so they could investigate potential fraud. That's it. Yep. They never asked him to overturn the election. It's such a lie, man. Well, and if you're an attorney, you don't you're not making the political calls, the political decisions. You're merely giving your client options. And that's exactly what. Eastman did in his six-page memo to Trump, he laid out all these different options, including several where where Biden would have won. Yes. And, and the and the final thing that came out when you this this professor John Yu from Berkeley, um, this another brilliant constitutional scholar, he showed how virtually all the historical and legal evidence shows that the vice president actually does have substantive authority. This is not some frivolous advice that an attorney should get disbarred for. 
Right, right. I mean, there was good standing in the Constitution, which is the ultimate law of the land for all of these things. So we've got about three minutes left in this segment. Let's tell us about Jeffrey Clark. You wanted to talk about him. He's a uh, he worked on the Georgia case, right? Yes. Well, and I wouldn't even go that far as to say that, you know, basically he's in the same position that Eastman is the. Um, D.C. Barr is going to start a disbarment trial against him in January. He's been he's being prosecuted in Georgia. He's an unnamed co-conspirator in the federal case. And all he did, he was a DOJ official under Trump, a high-level um, attorney. And in mm-hmm. fact, one day right before J6, Trump even appointed him acting attorney general because he was one of the few who wasn't trying to sell Trump out. And so um, all he did was draft a proposed memo to Georgia officials outlining what they could do about the botched election. Mm. The memo was never sent, never circulated. Only a couple of people saw it. But because he did that, they are trying to prosecute him and disbar him. They just want to make it, Rachel, to where, I mean, they already really do. They being the deep state, the uniparty control elections. They're just trying to make sure that they never lose that control. You said it. That is exactly it. They are finally in control. And any of us who dare to peep up and and challenge them, they're going to say that, oh, we are trying to usurp democracy, insurrection. We're trying to overthrow the government. I mean, you look at the charges against these guys, and it's all the same thing. They accuse them of trying to overthrow the government when it doesn't even pass the laugh test. Yeah, and they always use the term, yeah, usurp democracy, even though we live in a republic. I mean, they, they don't have the most <laughs> basic understanding, you know, of our system. It's, it's insane. You know, you did a tweet, I'm looking at, that if we don't fix the election fraud, and, and I really didn't want to do the whole show on election fraud, but... I mean, it kind of is when you can't, when you break it down, Rachel, if we don't have the ability, if our vote doesn't count, I mean, where do we go? I mean, we're just kind of screwed, really. Well, I tell everybody, if we don't fix election fraud, you know, a lot of these other issues don't matter. However, I do always remind people that other things like, you know, let's say a local, you know, school board issue you know, that's stuff we still need to keep working on because, yeah. you know, we can still make differences. So we don't have to ignore everything else. But we have to realize that election fraud is one of the key issues. And we can't just pretend, oh, we just need to appeal to McCain voters better. Oh, yeah, no doubt. You know, one thing that I, that we haven't covered that uh, my girlfriend and I, I told you, I think that we've been talking about the decay of the justice system for a decade. But when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the jury system. We're with Rachel Alexander. It's clarification. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary, joined by Rachel Alexander, recovering attorney, former assistant AG of Arizona. She lives in Maricopa. Do you live in Maricopa, by the way, Rachel? Oh, I live in the middle of commie central Phoenix. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, I said I want here's something that I read an article. Oh, a couple months back about 
how jury pools can be rigged and what the article said. And I just want to get your your thoughts on this. They said instead of rigging, you know, 12 jurors to find these right, they rigged the whole pool that they can look. They use databases to cross check uh, potential jurors affiliation, political affiliation. So they, you know, let's say you've got 150 people in a potential pool for 12 jurors. They're all Democrats. And I know in D.C. it's like that. But, I mean, have you heard that? Do you have any thoughts on it used to be? Look, I always thought, man, if I ever get in trouble, but I'm innocent, I get a jury trial, I'm going to be acquitted. That's just not true anymore. What are your thoughts on the jury system? Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the difference between having a jury pool from a big blue city versus, you know, other areas. And you notice that judges never allow transfers anymore. I was I wrote an article about one of the J6 cases. You, two wait, let ago. me interject. And, you When you say transfer, you mean what we call a change of venue? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Kind? Yeah, that was okay. a change of venue. Okay. So, right. so, so basically one of these J6ers, they had asked 16 times. They asked the judge 16 times to transfer out of Washington, D.C., and the judge refused 16 times. That's insane. And, and this never used to happen, you know, 20 years ago. So the judges have only started not allowing different jury pools in recent years. And I want to address something that is really disturbing. I brought up earlier regarding Dominion. Um, basically what happened with the Fox News um, settlement with Dominion is that the, there was a summary judgment motion made. And the judge made it very clear that if you know he didn't grant the summary judgment motion, and it went to trial, then the jury instructions that he was going to give the jurors were going to say, you must um, treat everything Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and everybody else said about Dominion on Fox News as false. So basically, with those jury instructions, there was no way that they were going to find Fox News, you know, innocent of libel at that point. That's insane. yeah, that's that's how rigged our system is. You cannot get a fair jury trial anymore if the judges don't want to let you. It, uh, I, I mean, honestly, I'm speechless that the amount of corruption and one sided and bias is the bar association in general. Does it follow along? Because, I mean, I know a lot of lawyers. Most of them don't even seem progressive, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm in really a red state and here in the Ozarks. But is the Bar Association in general support these leftist causes? So here's how it works. You know, the the National American Bar Association, that doesn't control lawyers, but it has a lot of influence, like the state bars are what control lawyers. And they will adopt their rules from the ABA. Mm. So, you know, so so but it just makes it harder for us to take them on because now we have to take on 50 state bars. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. take on and and the fit and the state bars differ from state to state. So, for example, in a lot of red states, you know, the state bars are just completely dominated by the left, like Arizona. But I hear from my friend in Georgia that their state bar tends to be like a good old boy key club. So it's not as bad as it is in, in Arizona where we all have all the Democrats dominating. 
And the other point I like to make about this is why is it that we have so many left-wingers dominating the state bars? And I've come to realize it's because of conservative Christian types. We have families. We have church. This is the type of stuff we like to do in our free time. Yeah. These left-wing lawyers, they tend to be, you know, single, you know, do-gooders who like to get involved in this boring, you know, administration of state bars and all their stupid committees and blah, blah, blah. So that's the disconnect. Well, and also I remember, uh, you know, I've read a lot about the, uh, maybe you can give me the specific name, but the Trial Lawyers Association and the power that they hold as far as lobbying in Congress. The thing I remember about trial lawyers going back 20 to 30 years is they were the biggest donor to Democrats of anyone. Right, right. Which is so, kind of insane. I don't know. Yeah, it, see, it all seems rigged all the way down. That, because I know, you know, remember it was a uh, kind of a big issue a decade or so ago about like putting a cap on damages in certain trials. But the Trial Lawyers Association always seemed to intervene with Congress, it seemed to me. Yes, and they are that powerful. Um, that is one um, lobbying group I would not want to take on. And that's why nobody ever sues the state bar. I mean, everybody always says, oh, we need to do a class action against the state bar. And I just laugh. I mean, there's no way you've got they control the legal system. The judges are scared of them. The judges could get disbarred by them. I mean, no one is ever going to rule against the state bar. I I would like to see a case where they actually successfully won against the state bar. But like you said, it's just not going to happen. So we've got we've got six minutes, seven minutes left. Where do we go from here, Rachel? What actions can we, the public, take? I mean, I have this show. It's my little bit. And I, you know, I tweet a lot. I volunteer. I do work the elections. What what the heck can we do? I know here in Missouri, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. We had a ballot measure, I don't know, was it four years ago, where it took uh, judges being elected to where they're now appointed and I don't even know the committee that appoints them. But but what that's a kind of two separate issues. What can we do, the the average citizen voter like myself? Well, so there's two things. There's election fraud and lawfare that we need to deal with. And before that, I want to address what you said, uh, judges being elected versus appointed. You know, there's problems with both. Yes. Because if you're if you're electing them, well, then you've got the election fraud issue to deal with. And if you're appointing them, well, here in Arizona, where we have Hobbs elected Democrat governor because of election fraud, now she gets to appoint almost all the judges. Mm. (laughs) So even if we even if we vote the bad judges out in our retention elections, she'll just appoint them with worse commie judges. Yep. Yep. So 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 that gets you back to pretty much election fraud. Mm. And what I've been telling people, you know, for the last couple of years to do regarding election fraud um, you know, in, in all these states, you've got these rhinos that stop the election integrity legislation from going through here in Arizona. Now, we finally have the most conservative legislature in at least 10 years, but we have Hobbs as governor who's going to veto all the legislation. So here I recommend um, stack the polls with election workers, election observers. We've got to get election workers at Dominion, Runbeck. All these we need to have all these eyes because, you know, as our wonderful state senator, Jake Hoffman, pointed out to me a couple years ago, 
He thinks that the reason Youngkin had that red wave in Virginia is because they had something like 9,000 GOP observers in Virginia. Wow. That is really good advice. I hope the listeners are really listening to that. We need to volunteer. And and then and, you know, another thing that I'll just throw out there, I went to a long meeting with We the People AZ Alliance here, which is the you know top election integrity group in Arizona right now. Mm-hmm. And um, the stuff they're doing behind the scenes is amazing. They probably don't want me talking about it, so I, I won't say. But get involved with the top reputable election integrity organizations because they are just doing some amazing stuff you wouldn't even think of. And then in regards to the lawfare, you know, what I'm trying to do with my legal organization that it's about to launch um, is we're going to, one, represent conservative attorneys under attack by the the 65 Project and others trying to sanction them and get them disbarred. Two, we have to go on the offensive. You know, conservatives are finally figuring that out. So we're going to be filing bar complaints against corrupt left-wing attorneys. And then three, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to try to infiltrate the few kind of red state bars left. So if at least if an attorney is disbarred in one state, instead of the stupid bogus reciprocity where the other state treats them the same way, we might have some refuge for these conservative attorneys to go to. Right. I've got to ask you while I've got to a few minutes left, do you think... Uh, everything that's been thrown at Trump, both civil and criminal, is it all going to be appealed and eventually reach the Supreme Court? I believe. I don't know about all of it, but Mm. regarding the criminal stuff where they're trying to put him in prison, I believe there is no way the Supreme Court will ever let him serve a day in prison. So I think that's where the, the adults in the room finally step in and stop this from going any further. Yeah, I I just can't imagine that they would allow it. I mean, to me, it seems like we're on the brink of a, you know, really a a violent civil war every other week. And I think sending Trump to prison might just light the fuse. I don't know, man. Well, I just think, you know, as long as we have a right-leaning court, they're not going to allow it. If we had a left-leaning court, I, I wouldn't put it past them to let them go to prison. They don't care about the rioting. All the all they'll have to do is just do another J six and just you know put all the conservative rioters in prison. Yeah, <laughs> so and you know that is part of the problem. People don't remember there were two big rallies in twenty twenty. Uh, the J6 being the second. Well, I went to the first one. I drove 23 hours by myself from Missouri to D.C., and there was two million people there. Um, people are now afraid to protest because they and I think that was the intention of the whole J6 operation, which I do believe was a deep state fed operation. They wanted to scare the crap out of us. One hundred percent. You know, people keep trying to get uh, people to do protests here for Carrie Lake. You know, she's still challenging the election. And I've had multiple people tell me I'm scared to go downtown and protest because I know they'll just infiltrate us and they will try to make us look bad. (sighs) So there's no protest taking place. They should be happening every day right now. here. Yeah, absolutely. We should be out. You know, the old pitchforks and torches. We got a minute left. Update me on Carrie Lake. She's still hurt. Her litigation is still active, right? Oh, yeah, it is still active. And, um, you know, she's just waiting on appeals right now. And, you know, I, I also have to bring up Abe Hominay because yeah. I just found out from We the People AZ Alliance that they have over 280 votes they found that were never counted 
that should have been voted for Abe. And wow. I should hopefully be breaking that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's more than the margin that he lost by. But they told me the courts will not accept this new evidence. How crooked is that? Well, it's just it doesn't get any more crooked. Uh, I'm frustrated, but you've given us some good ideas. Volunteer, we've got to make sure that this next election in 24 is free and fair. Rachel Alexander, it's been such a pleasure. I do hope you'll come back. Thank you so much. I will. All right, Rachel, take care. It's clarification. We'll see you next week.